sermon, and I am not going to do Merry Christmas this year, and I think the reason, not, not this year, but this Sunday, one of the reasons is because it's just too early. It's the second. That's early in the month to be doing it this summer weekend. The other one is because everybody's making fun of me about it. <laughs> Greg made fun of me, and somebody just made fun of me, and everybody makes fun of me. I don't care. Next week, Merry Christmas, okay? But don't say it now. <laughs> Thank you for that. Too late. I got it. All right. So I really have a fantastic Christmas present for you this year. I mean, you're going to love this. And every message that we're doing, which is going to be this week, next week, and then we do the play. If you didn't get what that was, we do a play on the 16th, and it's just really fun. A great Christmas thing. Great thing to invite friends to and so on. And then the 23rd, we'll be wrapping it up. But every one of them is going to come from the same passage because of something that the Lord did. So... Let me show you this. Okay. Now, there were in the same country. Oh, do this. I need you to become a shepherd in that first century. Don't have a cell phone, no distraction. You're out in the, you know, you're tending your flocks by night. You're out in the field. It's dark. Maybe the moon's out. Maybe it's not. But, you know, it's dark. And then all of a sudden, this happens. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now, this word afraid, put that in there, because that's actually going to be the pivot, the key that unlocks everything that I think God wants to show us today, okay? But what happens is the angel said to them, don't be afraid, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Now that is, I, 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 there's... I think that this is the most incredible proclamation that is ever made by any angel at any time. The only one I think you could argue at all would be the one to Mary about the virgin birth, right? So those two, but they're really the same thing. So this is it. I just need to just drop back for a second and think about what these guys are saying, what the angel and the heavenly host are saying. Here's what, here's what happens. In the very beginning... This is chapter 3 of Genesis, but that's not the point. It's not about the book. It's about the history of mankind. God makes Adam and Eve, puts him in a garden, and what he does is he says, I just want to be with you. I made you to be with you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in oneness, in relationship, and now I've made more to be in relationship with us. And so here you are in the garden. I'm just enjoying you and everything else, but the one thing is I'm not going to compel you. And so I'm going to put in the garden an actual choice, a manifestation, an object of choice. And it, is, it goes like this. You may eat of every tree of the garden, including that one. But don't eat of that particular one. Because in the day that you do, it's going to separate us. I have a will for you. I made you. I have a great thing for you. And the problem is, is that I'm going to let you go your own way if you want 
but it is going to separate you from me and from this plan that I have for you. And so sure enough, we do that, right? And so we go out and we make that choice and then we are separated. And when we say separated, we mean death. Because when you're separated from the one who created you, who is the source and the continuing source of life, when you're separated from that, you die. It may take you a few more years to actually die, but had we never done that, you do understand Adam and Eve would still be alive in the way that they were alive to this day. We're all immortal, but that's getting too deep. But now I want to show you something. Right then, at the very beginning, there's only two people on earth. And at the very beginning, right when those two people fall, God comes to him and says, okay, now here's what's going to happen because of this. And he says this really weird thing in the middle of what he's saying to Adam and Eve, and particularly Eve. And what he says to her is, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, meaning the snake and the woman. He's talking to the snake, to Eve, and to Adam. I will cause hostility between you, the snake, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Look, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Who's the he that he's talking about? Jesus, the offspring that's going to come from Mary. And what he's saying is, is you are going to bruise his heel. You are going to strike his heel. It is going to hurt the cross. It is a big deal. But he's going to take that same heel and he's going to crush you with it. He's going to crush your head with it. See that? So you see this? We're three chapters in, or we're at the very beginning, and we already have God saying, this is the plan. See it? And now where we are is, this is what the angels are proclaiming. All of this glory, 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 glory to men, peace on earth, all the whole thing. Now, we're, in the three Sundays, we're going to be taking apart that statement. And the first one we're doing today, as you can see, is on earth, peace. Now, I just want you to think about that word for just a minute. What does it mean? What does it mean to have peace? I'm going to cut to the chase a little bit because we're going to circle back and pick this up in more detail. But this is what this sermon is about right now. What would you give to never fear anything ever again? Just think about it for a second. What do you fear? What would you give to never have any fear ever again? To be at peace forevermore. What would you give for that? That's the greatest thing, right? I mean, look at that. You be totally at peace in everything forever. Is that really true? Is that really possible? It is. Greg Thatcher, you're the one that's praying for us. Greg, thank you for your beautiful sermon last week. Thank you for just being the man of God and the example that you are. Love your heart. Love your life. So would you just pray for this? Would you pray for peace for us to really get what God's doing? Father, how great you are. How great is your mercy towards us. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Lord, he is the peace that keeps our heart. You are the peace, God. By your spirit, keep our hearts at peace this season. Lord, especially in this season and in the new year. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us today about that peace through Kurt. 
And Lord, I lift up the church there in Uganda that my friend Karen serves at. Lord, would you give them peace in the midst of a very, very difficult situation there with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, now, I, I want us, we're going we're to do something as we break this down. The first thing is we're going to do is we're going to look at the fear that, that people have and where it comes from initially. And this is sort of the surface fear because eventually we're going to get to the deeper fear. So in this example of the, the, they were greatly afraid and the angel said, do not be afraid. Now that brought to mind something when I read that and I was praying about it and thinking about it. And what it brought to mind was another time where something similar that was startling had happened. In other words, shepherds out at night, it was dark. All of a sudden, the glory of the Lord is around them. There's an angel appears. He's starting to talk to them. And then the heavenly host. This is a shocking, startling event. It, you wouldn't be human if you weren't afraid, right? But then, but then you find out that something else is happening. Well, there's a similar parallel to this, and it's here. That Sunday evening, this is, we're now at the end of Jesus' life. He has died. He has risen again. And the disciples are meeting behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. So that's the first thing they have to be afraid of. But then in a locked room, all of a sudden, Jesus is standing there. <laughs> this is shocking. <laughs> this is startling, right? The response to surprise is fear right? It, it, that's what it is. And here he is. Boom, here he is. So they're afraid. Now here's what Jesus says. Remember what the angel said? They said, do not be afraid. Jesus doesn't say it that way. He says the same thing, but he uses a different word. And I think it's important. The word that he uses is, peace be with you. Just go with me here for a second. First, what's peace, and then how's it different than fear? Just tell me, what, what's peace? What's the definition of peace? What's a good definition? Just yell it out. No fear. That's a great one. What else? What's that? Wholeness. That's great. Quiet. Content. Absolutely. What was that? Comfort. Serenity. Very much so. Go ahead. Keep going. Faith, absolutely, yeah. Now, I want you to think about something. The antonym of peace is what? War, conflict, fear, concern, gin up, get ready, adrenaline, deal with it. See what I mean? This is not peace. This is, I got to go. I got to get up. I got to deal with. Right? Fight or flight, as Justine's sermon was a couple of weeks ago that was amazing if you haven't heard it. Okay? But so you get the idea? It's fight or flight. There's no peace here. Even if you don't get, actually go to war, you still have to get ready for it. So you have to be ready. You have to be in it. You have to be in this tense moment. You cannot be yourself. You have to be about this thing. You have to go in defensive mode. Right? Okay. So that's what but, but when Jesus comes and what he says is, is he says, peace, not fear. Now tell me, what's the difference between the word fear, which is what he, you know, he could have easily just said, don't be afraid. They're afraid for the Jews and they're afraid that he's standing there. But he doesn't say that he says peace. Why would he use that word and not fear or, or not don't be afraid? 
What's the difference between peace and fear? What? There's power in what you say. So if you're concentrating on fear or you're concentrating on peace, that's good. Go ahead. This is, it's important to dig this out a little bit because then the revelation when God brings it is going to be that much more powerful. What's that? It, peace is definitely positive. Yeah, I like that. Go ahead. Jesus is peace, no question. That's exactly where we're headed. But keep going. The difference between peace and fear or the difference between saying to someone, have peace or don't be afraid. In the garden, they're in, they're in peace, and then something happens, and then they go to a fear place. I want you to think about it this way. We're doing a little semantics here, right? I want you to think about it. Fear is a subset of peace. You see it? The word fear, well, go ahead, what? Yeah, see, now that's another way of saying what I just said. Peace is a concept in terms of what it carries in its word. It's a concept that is this big. See it? Peace is huge. Peace encompasses don't be afraid, but it also encompasses don't be nervous, don't be worried, don't be freaked, don't be, you see what I mean? There's a whole lot of things that peace the, the concept of peace carries in it. Do you get it? Okay? So think, keep that in your mind because watch what God's going to do with it now. Okay? So he says peace. Not just don't be afraid. He says peace. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Now think about this. When somebody surprises you, your first reaction is always anger. That's the normal human response is anger. Even if they're doing it as a joke, right? You're still mad initially. But when it turns out that it wasn't a bear that's about to eat you, then you move to joy. <laughs> You're happy that the bear is not going to eat you. See it? In other words, if there's something that you were, had every reason to be afraid of, and then suddenly it resolves in a way that not only is not threatening to you, but it's actually quite advantageous to you, then your fear gives way to joy. Do you see it? Now that is starting to take this superficial or this surface level thing about the disciples were, feared because, were afraid because they were startled. And now we're starting to see a principle that is, there's always everything that God does, right? There's always a thing on the surface so that we can know what it is. But then you take that principle and you start applying it to the depth. Now, in order to do that, though, we've got to do, we're going to have to take a little sidebar trip here. Is it okay to fear? I just said, what would, you, what would it be like to never fear again? And I meant it. But, it, but is, does fear have a God place? Is there? Right? How about this? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If, if you don't understand who God is, <laughs> you will, if, if you don't understand who he is in his fullness, if you're not literally understanding what he can do to you and what this is all about and everything else, if there isn't a fear in there, you're never going to understand who he is. 
This is why in the world right now, lots of people are talking about Jesus. It isn't the Jesus of the Bible. It isn't the Jesus that's real. But they're still talking about him because they're invoking his name for the proof text that they want, which is God would never judge. See? Now the truth is, he is the judge. <laughs> so he does. Okay? And you should be afraid of that. <laughs> the beginning of it should be fear, but we always say something. The beginning of wisdom is fear. It's just not its end. The end of wisdom is not fear. You always need to have it. You always need to have it in the back of your mind and your heart. But the end of wisdom is what? It's love, joy, peace, reconciliation. Now watch. Even in this verse, there's a thing that's interesting. Okay, there's two groups of people, those who know him and those who do not. Now, when, when, when God comes along and says, glory to God in the highest, the angels, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill towards men, is that talking about all people or some people? Is the goodwill that he has only to the ones that he knows or is it to everybody? Now, I love the answering. Thank you. Now, watch this. Here's, here's, here's a way of translating it better than what the New King James does. New King James is an old translation, and even the New King James used the same manuscripts. By the way, this is a very common thing right now in the world for people to say, well, how can I trust the Bible? There's so many different translations. Understand something about translations. Here's what 90-plus percent of all translations are about. Language and the use of language changes. Cool used to mean cold. Now it means hot. <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that anymore because even that's anachronistic. See, you don't say cool anymore hardly. Okay? There's other words for it. See? Language moves. Shakespeare, right? Invented tons of... When Shakespeare was alive, 50,000 words in the English language. Today, I don't know what we're up to. A million probably. Right? Okay? By the way, he's the one that showed us what language can do. That's one of the reasons why he stands where he stands. is because he showed us that language is so much more fluid and understanding. He could use a word in a way it's never been used before. Nobody had any trouble understanding what it meant. That's what translations are about. Getting you to hear it the way that the original people heard it. But there's also some theology in, in these translations. And in this particular one, the ESV says, which is using the latest manuscripts, all modern translations besides New King James, bottom line, use all the best manuscripts, period. There isn't, these issues of difference are tiny, 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 and they mean nothing theologically. But watch this. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now that's a very different word than saying goodwill to all men, right? So now one commentary comes along, the New International Commentary of the New Testament, which is one of the top two commentaries in the world. This is a very authoritative for evangelicals and so on. And here's what this guy says. And on earth, peace among those who are the objects of God's good pleasure. What he means is it's an exclusionary statement. He didn't mean goodwill to everybody. He only meant goodwill to those whom he's pleased with, meaning his own. Now that's what New International Commentary says. But then Word Biblical, which is the other really great one, comes along and says this. 
It should not be read in an exclusive sense. That is not peace only to a select group whom he favors, but in an inclusive way. In the birth of this child, God's mercy has fallen on the world, on everybody. Now, which one's correct? I love you. <laughs> see? See, now, now you, can be in an, you can be in a university writing a very long paper about why it means one or the other and supporting it all the way, and you'd just be wrong. What you just said is right. Here's the first thing you always have to remember about God. He is a phenomenal communicator. Phenomenal. When there is a difference in the way of interpreting it, he could have cleared up the difference. And he knew not only what he was saying today, he knew that the way people would 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years from now be meaning it. See? So he, it was very easy for him to clear it up. He knew what was going to be the confusion, but he meant to leave the confusion in there. Because here's what he meant to say. You're all my creation. All of mankind is my creation, and I love my creation. And my gift is poured out to all. Jesus is not dying only for those who will accept him. He's dying for everybody. Amen. It's just that only some will accept him. Amen. So only some get the benefit of it. Do you see it? So it is both. I died. I did what I did for all of mankind. I gave everybody the same opportunity. But... Only some people are going to receive it. Now, this is all, we can go much deeper than this, but that's all I'm going to go right now. Because what I want you to do is I want you to get into your heart this idea that God is doing something that is incredibly loving to everybody, but there's only certain people who are going to appropriate it because they believe it. You can't, you cannot enter into the peace of God that passes all understanding if you don't know God. You can't enter into the peace of God if you don't know God. See, not really. If you think you know something about him and you try and enter into his peace, is it going to be real peace? Is it going to be lasting peace? Is it going to be a peace that transcends anything that could ever happen to you? No way. Something's going to happen that's going to be bigger than whatever your conception is, and then you're going to freak. Right? Okay, I think we're getting it. So now watch. Here's what Jesus does. He comes to these disciples in the upper room, and then he says, again, he said, peace be with you. The second time, peace. The first time was, don't be startled, don't be afraid. But now he's starting to make that word mean the fullness of what he meant it to mean. Now we're going to the deeper level. What's the deeper level? What's he saying right here? Justine talked about it last week and so on. I'm forgiving your sins. I've forgiven your sins. I just went to the cross. I just took everything upon myself. All of it. It's no longer in your account at all. It's been paid for 100%. Fully. Every bit of it. Peace. Reconciliation. Peace. And then he does something. And this is where, we're trying to talk about getting a peace that's bigger than anything that could ever happen to you. Doesn't mean we're always going to appropriate it, but it's there. And we can enter into it. So he's going to the big place. Now what's, here's what he does. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when he does that, We've talked about it a lot before. 
But watch this. Where does that come from? The very beginning, Genesis. Then God, the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Always remember something. The word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach. The word for wind is ruach. Wind, spirit. What's being said is, is take a picture of what I just did right there. You can take a picture of me doing it, of breathing it, but the wind, the, the breath, the spirit itself, you can't take a picture of it. You can see its effect as it moves the leaves or your hair or whatever, or you repel from the bad breath. But you, you catch it? But the breath, the breath and the spirit, see it? Same thing. Now what he's saying is, he breathed into Adam a spirit. This is what makes us different than the animals, right there. This is the moment. All animals were formed in the same way, out of the dust, right? And so they have a consciousness, a brain. What they don't have is a transcendence. Dogs don't get up in front of dogs and say, I just learned something today from the scripture, and I would like to share with you a scriptural truth, which because you're transcendent, you can get a hold of two, and it goes... Aha. Doesn't happen. See, transcendent part. So what happens is the man becomes a living being. Now, what happened in the garden was we got separated from the life, God, from him who is life. And so in the Old Testament, God says, here's what I'm going to do eventually. They didn't connect it with the Messiah. We now, on the other side of Jesus, know that it is connected to Messiah. And that's this. He, he takes Ezekiel the prophet and he says, look at this valley. What do you see? And he says, dry bones. In other words, dead, death. Dried up bones. All the flesh is gone. The sinew is gone. They're dead. And then God says to Ezekiel, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath, spirit, life to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you. That's, a, that's again, this physical metaphor to talk about the spiritual reality of I'm bringing you to life. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Repeating it. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. Now, now take that statement for a second. See, the problem with Adam and Eve was they knew God, but they didn't have, and I'm stealing from a sermon that's to come now a little bit, but they didn't have another thing. They didn't have God in them. They were made in his image, but they didn't have God himself in them. Now, having said that, when we get, when Jesus breathes, we now have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And that is bringing a new kind of life to us. And this is what the Bible talks about. Because watch this. Here, here's the big three, okay? Now watch. Well, this is Jesus. This is, okay, this is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He's starting to do miracles. All of a sudden, here comes Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is, comes at night because he's afraid of being seen because the religious leaders are against Jesus. But he's going, look, we know that something's going on here. 
Nobody could do the miracles you're doing unless they were sent from God. So we know something's happening. But what's happening? And Jesus interrupts him. Very important. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't know Yahweh. See, I'm going to breathe into you and bring you to life so that you can know Yahweh because now he's in you. And so he says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water, meaning natural birth, meaning become a person, and the spirit. Because see, you're born in an Adamic nature that is separated from God. And it needs to be reconciled. You need to get a new nature, a spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. You, you cannot have a relationship with Jesus unless he has made you new. That's what it says in Scripture. Don't you understand? If you haven't been made new, you're not a Christian. <laughs> it's not about believing Jesus. It happens when you believe Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit coming in and making you new. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel to me that, that I said you must be born again. Now watch. Here's the triumphant. Paul, then Peter, or then John, then Peter. Those are the three biggies, right? And all of them say something that doesn't make any sense unless you're tracking with what I'm saying. That God makes people new. Because here's what Paul says. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Look, new things have come. Here's the way John says it. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because God's seed remains in that person. That person is not able to sin. Do you believe that you're not able to sin? We're going to talk about this in just one second. But here's the answer. Really get this. The new creation that you are has never sinned, never will sin. In fact, cannot sin. The new creature that he has made you has never sinned, cannot sin, because it's God's nature, and God doesn't sin, and this is what he's birthed in you. There's a way to understand that? Keep going with me. Because he's been born of God. See, born again. Born of God. New nature. Now, here's the way Peter says it. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, See what he's saying? Not of corruptible is probably, I probably should have used it as another, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. In other words, it, see this? Paul, John, and Peter all tell us the same thing. You're a new creature. You just don't know it. Now let's look and see what that means. Now, my apologies to those who have been here for a while. You're going to see something you've seen a lot. I really ask the Lord to either give me a new metaphor or something else. And he just said, there's a lot of people in here that haven't actually seen this. So give me a little space here and then watch what we're going to do with it. It is a little different than what we've ever done with it before, but here we go. Cottonwood seed. You take, you know, what? have you ever seen how big a cottonwood seed is? You know that cottonwood kind of snow type stuff that comes down? That little bitty seed, how tiny is that thing? But that little bitty seed goes into the ground and then it takes a little root and then it starts to sprout up and it'll become a hundred foot tall cottonwood tree. There's a whole line of cottonwood trees right there. Okay? hundred foot tall from that little bitty seed. But everything that that tree ever is came from that seed. Only that seed. 
No other seed, no other, right? That's it. But everything. So there it is, a 100-foot-tall tree. But here's the reason why I love this metaphor so much. Because did you know something about cottonwood? And that is that it's what we call a soft wood. And what that means is, is that even while it's alive, bugs and mold and other things can get inside of it and hollow it out. It can literally eat away the inside of the tree. It's still 100 feet tall. The water goes up the outside. So it's still got leaves. It still looks alive for all you can tell. And then you cut it down and you find out there's nothing in it. Now that's the perfect metaphor for what people without God are. People separated from God are hollow. Now here's the truth though. Here's a very important thing. They don't know that. You don't know it until you've been filled. I do want to say something. I think people that grew up Christians never know what it is to be hollow. Because you've never had that in your life. You don't have a contrast and compare with that. As somebody who was incredibly hollow... <laughs> I can tell you that when I got saved, this whole new birth thing is not an abstract to me. It literally was, I was blind and now I see. It literally was, there was, there was there's now something in me that I have never, ever felt before. I never thought before. I never wanted before. I, in fact, I wanted the opposite of that. <laughs> there was a new thing that came into me when I got saved at 19 years old that was completely utterly new. And so what we've got is, this is what God does in the new birth. You got this cottonwood tree that's now been hollowed out. And so God takes a new seed, an oak seed, and that's God's nature. And he puts it inside of the tree. And then the tree starts to grow up. And then it keeps growing up. And it's becoming, that's the new me who God made. And it's growing up in me. Now, do notice something. There's still cottonwood here, but there's a new me. You see it? It's growing up. And here's the key. said it earlier. That new me is God. That doesn't make me God. Don't misunderstand. But it's God's nature. It never sins. Cannot sin. It is who you are. You die right now. Cottonwood goes into the ground, it's gone. The thing he created is eternal, comes back up, and it's only the cottonwood. I mean, only the oak tree. You see it? So here comes the oak tree. That's the new me who God made. Now, with this understanding, let's take one of the most enigmatic, difficult to understand places in Scripture, which is also happens to be the whole of the Bible ramps up to one verse and then goes back down after it. But this is the ramp up right before we get to the one verse that's critical for today and for all understanding the Bible at all. I do not understand my own actions, says Paul, a Christian. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. But wait a minute. Oh, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Do you see it? You are the red oak tree. The cottonwood's still there and is still doing things, and you're like, oh, appalled at that. So frustrated. This is so stupid. I hate this. But it's there. See it? I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, the cottonwood. 
For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to do it the right way, to carry it out, to carry out what's in my heart. I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it. As a person who was hollow and who did things that were not God's way, I did not feel guilty about them. There was, I guess I'd seared my conscience completely, but I never had a sense of, oh, I'm doing something wrong. It always seemed like, nope, I'm doing about what you're supposed to do. Right? It wasn't until something came into me that was different that all of a sudden I went, well, that's a contrast to what I used to feel, to what I used to think. If I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin, cottonwood, that's still there. So I, find to be, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner man. See it? In that new thing that God made in me, I delight in God and in his law and in what's right and in walking with him and in being right with him. I delight in that. But I see in my members another law that's waging war against that. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who died to take all of my sin upon him that he might breathe on me and fill me with a new creation, a new nature, a new truth, a new thing, existentially a new me. And now we get to the, 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 the pinnacle verse of all scripture. This is the one, you have to understand this verse to get what this message is about. And if you understand this verse, it will set you free from fear forevermore. It'll change your relationship with God completely. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see why? Because you're the red thing. See, here's how we are. Or, or let me put it another way. What does that sound like? There's therefore no, no, no condemnation. What does that sound like? No fear, which is another way of saying? Peace. Peace. Which is to say, reconciliation. One. Nothing to fear. Is Julie here? You got to start coming up, huh? Watch this. When you think about yourself, who do you see? When you think about yourself, who do you see? It's a really important time to get honest with yourself about this. Just have a seat. Just one more second. Thanks, son. When you think about yourself, who do you see? What's that? See? And if you're, if you're being truthful, almost every person in here, because there's different personalities, we approach it in very different ways, and we get there from very different angles. But almost all of us, when you're asked to appraise yourself, we will almost, at the top, maybe not at the very top, if you're really good at it, but at some point in time, you will talk about Cottonwood as being who you are. Is that who you are? No. <laughs> That's who you were. Now, does it still happen? Yes. But watch this now. We say to God, but what about that yellow cottonwood old nature and all that it's doing? See, that cottonwood is defining our relationship with God. It is. 
That's, that, when we're just doing great, we're not sitting in everything else, we're just going along not thinking about our relationship with God. When we do something wrong, then it's, oh my God, what am I going to do? I hate myself. I hate that I keep doing this. What's wrong with me? How can I not get past this? Blah, blah, blah. Do you see it? And we get all twisted up in that, and that becomes the defining characteristic of our relationship with God. Here's what God says back to us. What are you talking about? All I see is look, the you that I made, it never has sinned. It's the thing I made. It's perfect. And that other stuff that was there, that was covered by the red blood of Jesus Christ. It's been totally forgiven. I don't see it as far as Jesus from West. It's gone. It was already paid for. It's gone. When I look at you, I do not see the sin. We define our relationship with God in our failures. He doesn't see him. <laughs> We're not saying that he's stupid, right? But you need to know who you are. More importantly, you need to know who God sees you as. Because when he looks at you, here's what he sees. Oh, I get that there was some problems, but that was covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what I died for. That was a pretty high cost for me, for me to still be taking account of it. See that? Let me show you. Julie, come on up. Thanks, son. Oh, boy. Hi. Hi. Okay. This is her new headband. She loves it. Okay. <laughs> okay, now, we've been married 40 years and something, okay? Now, here we are. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're supposed to be having a really intimate relationship, Right? But you see, if she looks at me and she's afraid of me, can she be close to me? No. If she's afraid of me, then even though I got my arm out, she pulls herself away. See that? If I look at her and I think, man, I just really wish you were different. <laughs> Hang in there. But do you see it? If she has, if she thinks that I'm demanding, then she can't be real with me. She can't let her guard down around me. She's got to put up a wall to protect herself to some degree from me. Do you see it? Tell me, what are the walls that we put up with God? Just yell them out. See, I, I should. Been doing my Bible study. I haven't been doing my Bible study. Oh, I did. See, I just I, I should have helped that person. Not coming, to church. Not coming to church. Go ahead, keep going. What are the things? What's that? Not tithing. Not tithing. Go ahead, keep going. See, not trusting his plan. What? Defining him by my circumstances. Go ahead. What are the walls? What are the things that we do that separate us from God? Do you see what we're doing? What? Going back on my word. I yelled at the tech support person yet again. Darn it. I've been really praying about that. I, I know I get a laugh when I say that, but honestly, I'm asking for prayer on it. I pray about this. I think I'm a horrible witness when it comes to this area. I'm probably in more so than I know, but, uh, but in that area... 
You know what I mean? And I try so hard not to do that. It's a problem. Every time I do that, I just feel crappy. Like, God, that was a human being. You know? It's not okay. Now, it's okay for me to feel that way, isn't it? But it's not okay for me to define myself that way. If I don't do my job perfectly, sometimes I feel like I can't take it to God. Anybody in here got a problem with think God being a perfectionist? Your perception of God is that he's a perfectionist and you couldn't possibly live up to everything that he wants you to do. What else? I'm not exercising. I'm not exercising. Overeating. Overeating. What? <laughs> Go ahead. What else? There you go. Do you see it? Do you see it? When we define our relationship in all of these ways, are all of those things true? Should you be doing a devotional? Absolutely. Why? Because it feeds the inner tree and makes it bigger and stronger. And then it's all more easy. That's why. But as God's sitting up there going, oh my gosh, can you believe it? He went a whole week without doing a devotional. Is that what he's doing? Is that his nature? Is that who God is? We all can say no right now, but let's be clear about it. When we're living our lives 24-7, we do that almost constantly. We define, now watch, I think God's a certain way, so I need to protect myself. Because I don't know who God is. That's why I need to protect myself. Because here's who God is. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to cover everything about you that wasn't good. I'm going to make you new. It's going to cost me my son, but I'm all in. I was all in from the very first words that I ever spoke to you. And I'm in all the way to the end. I'm all in for you. I'm crazy about you. I adore you. I think you're the most incredible woman that I've ever met in my entire life. And no disrespect to any other woman that's here. But I believe that with everything in me. I have never met another human being, guy or girl, that is like you. Never. I'm the luckiest person in the world that I get to have you in my life. See it? That's who God is. That's what he's saying about you all the time. He's bragging about you. Hey, Satan, did you see Kurt and Julie? Aren't they great? (laughs) Do you see it? When we get it right, when we know God and how he really sees us, when we know how God sees us, when we get that image controlling our thoughts and get rid of the bad tape, get rid of the bad stuff that is causing us to separate, to distance, it just makes it easier to do the right thing, (laughs) to be the right person. And even that isn't what he's going for. He's not doing this to make you the right person. He's already covered you. He's already got you. He's already made you. He's already done it all. Can we believe that? Can we live that?
Pam. I want you to take some time right now. I want you to look at that image and do that thing where you stare at it so much that it burns into your retina so that when you close your eyes, it's all you see. A big red God tree that's you. That's what he sees. And then you need to start looking at yourself through those rose-colored glasses because they're his glasses. That's the truth. See it? So I want you to take some time right now in the Lord. And I just want, this is your Christmas gift. This is the one he's trying to give you right now. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start bringing to your mind every fear that you have. First start with the relationship with him. You're just not measuring up. You're just not good enough. You don't do enough. You're not enough. You're, you just keep screwing up, whatever it is. What are the things that are distancing you from him? And let him with his blood, his love. Just start letting him cover it. certain things that you've struggled with for so long that you've compartmentalized them out particularly guys so as to not be able to so as to not to just have to live in that sunken place go walk back into that door and open the door and pull that crap out and put it right on his throne just lay it out there for him for him to consume it in his fire there's nothing left. Everything you do wrong, take it out. Put it before him. Look at me. I know who you see me as now, Jesus. Take this. Here. All of it. Now, Jesus, every way that I've projected that you think about me, about not being enough or not doing enough or not, 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 with all the things that I've failed at by not measuring up, now I just come to you and I bring all of that stuff and I just lay it there on your altar again. Just lay it on that altar. All of it. All of it. I just don't do enough devotionals. I just don't help people enough. I just don't serve enough. I just don't give enough. I just don't care enough. I just am not willing to. I'm just not all of it. Just take it and lay it. And God in his love burns it up. There's not even it ash left now look around at your world finances health 
relationship with somebody, what are the things that you fear? What are the things that got you bound up? Just look at him who loves you and created the universe. picture him coming in and as long as you want to deal with it you want to take care of it he lets you but take it all and give it back to him put it on the altar again I give it all to you Lord now just take yourself and just go lay on that altar that is consuming fire of love. Come and consume you. All the stuff that is wood, hay, and stubble burns up and disappears. The precious thing that he made that is his gold getting refined. As he picks you up off that altar and he buries you in his heart. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Reach down in front.